Welcome to Military Transition Wellness, the podcast dedicated exclusively to those transitioning from military service. I'm your host, Michelle Seidling, and today we're talking about navigating life transformation. And with us to help us do that is Jonathan McLernan. Let me tell you a little bit about him to begin with. John is a uh, weight loss coach and emotional eating expert who has lost 100 pounds, pretty impressive, from nanotechnology researcher to Navy Marine engineer to globe-trotting nomad. Coach uh, John spent most of his life running from his true calling. Mm, interesting. We, we got to hear about that. <laughs> Until one question changed his life. Now he's on a mission to help others lose weight for good and leave alternative diets in the rearview mirror. And he has his business is Freedom Nutrition Coaching, where he marries the science of metabolism with the psychology of behavior change and the compassion of human connection to create life-changing transformations. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. Jonathan, welcome to Military Transition Wellness. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, fantastic having you here. What a journey you've been on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Oh, well, let's kind of kind of dive into it a little bit. But yeah. um, will you let's just kind of rewind in life for a moment back mm -hmm. to your Navy career. Will you tell us a little bit about your Navy uh, experience and yeah. um, from a wellness perspective, what was it like, you know, in the Navy and then as, as you were transitioning out? Well, I would, I would say there was pluses and minuses. Um, <clears throat> like I, I was in pretty good physical condition going into the Navy. I kind of joined. Um, I left university, uh, where I was an nanotech research and joined the military because I, I figured I wanted like more of a challenge, I guess, and maybe more of a physical challenge. Um, okay. but I had, I didn't have great eyesight. And so, um, I'd, I've had laser eye surgery since then, but I didn't have great eyesight. And so that limited sort of the choices I could have in the trade. So I ended up being an engineer. So working on anything, anything that has moving parts. So anything that moves a fluid or, you know, engines and pumps and stuff like that. And, um, the, the things that were, that were good about it, I would say, um, the structure, the schedule, well, in, in one sense, like every day was sort of structured and scheduled. So we kind of knew it was going, um, it was, it was mandatory that we did uh, PT a minimum of three times a week. And I was more than happy to do at least five or six. I loved the idea that I was getting paid to work out. Um, we had a great, great gym on the base. And so that, that part of it, I think was, was really kind of supporting a healthy lifestyle. But the other side of the coin is when we were deployed and, and whatnot, um, you know, we, we ate on a schedule and I guess that's a good way to keep guys happy and, and, you know, not have mutiny on your hands or something, but, uh, uh, you know, it's breakfast at 7am soup at 10am lunch at noon, you know, afternoon snack at two 30 dinner at five, you know, and then you do some leftovers kind of put out in the evening for people to, to grab if they wanted some. And so there was quite an availability of, of food and we're, you know, constant reminders or frequent reminders to eat. And so, <laughs> that that doesn't necessarily help and then you kind of throw into the mix um shifting sleep schedules because you know when you're when you're on a ship you have 24 hour watches not um you know 24 hours a day you have to be on watch so um you know every day your shift is a little bit different um usually they're four hour shifts um 
So, but one, one night you might be doing eight to midnight, the next night you might do mid to four and the next night, you know, you're doing four to eight. And so your, your sleep schedule is constantly shifting when you're deployed and that's kind of a little bit taxing the body as well. So, um, Overall, uh, and, and then of course, Canadian Navy, we're not dry. Um, not like the, the American Navy is dry. Uh, so they loved it when the Canadian ships pulled into port um, because they knew they could come on there and they get some duty-free uh, alcohol and, and enjoy themselves. So I, I kind of saw the potential downsides of that as well, or what that could sort of lead people doing the choices that they would make. And so um, it was, it was, I would say it was a bit of a mixed bag, really. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I look back at my time in the Navy, like fondly, I think overall it was, it was a really, really good experience. I think most people would benefit from some time spent in the military, but, uh, I wouldn't say that it was a guarantee you're going to come out of there healthy. (laughs) Okay. And then, so now when you decided to transition, so, so tell Mm -hmm. us that, that piece of it. Uh, probably I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that people necessarily follow the, in, (laughs) in the path that I took, um, for, for a little while, it was kind of building up that like there was just, um, some politics sort of around the, the Navy. I don't mean politics the way that the U S has, it, but I just mean there's just politics within, within the military that were just kind of, I was finding really stifling and frustrating. Um, so I was quite good at my trade. We have, we had, it was called the merit list and each trade you're ranked based on your, your performance evaluations and so on. And I made the top of the merit list two years in a row. So I was top of my trade in Canada and I still wasn't getting promoted. Now I look back and I say probably part of that was connected to the fact that also I opened my mouth more than maybe I should have. Um, but there, there were also things, there, there were other things that were in play there as well. And so I think there was a lot of frustration in the trade because of sort of how things were, were running, um, how it was being run. And uh, so I just, I kind of felt like it was, it was becoming time for me to, to move on. But I went, I went home to my wife one day and, uh, you know, I said, uh, why don't we just start traveling the world? You know, why don't we just pack up everything? And, and, and so that's what we did. I, I told her, I asked her that if she wanted to do that in, I would say it was like September or October. And by January, we were on a plane to Mexico. So wow. um, we, we in, in pretty short order. So I, I moved down to what was called secondary reserve. So essentially, I'm still connected to the military, but I, I, you know, they're only calling me up if there's an emergency and I'd have to fly home from somewhere in the world kind of thing. Okay. And so that's started this like three-year um, kind of globetrotting adventure. Because, um, you know, people think, well, you joined the Navy to, to travel the world. And I was like, yeah, well, it was all leading up to the Olympics, the Winter Olympics that were ha- happening in Canada. Uh, at that that year or, or uh, in 2010, and so a lot of our focus was on like coastal patrol, coastal defense, and, and coordinating with the U.S. military. So we really weren't going very far. <laughs> and so <laughs> I said I end up going to between Alaska and Mexico a lot, but uh, that was that was about as far as we got, at least where, where I was um, where I was posted. And so there, there was that aspect of it as well. So I was like, well, I joined because I thought I was going to travel the world. I didn't think I was going to drive like a tractor up and down between Alaska and Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, there's a lot of ocean there that we covered, but. Um, so yeah, we ended up going on this three-year globetrotting adventure instead. Mm, fantastic. Now, now from a health perspective, what was your what was your health like as you as you transitioned out? You began your nomad experience, all of that. What tell us, talk to us about your your own wellness at that time? I think from a from a physical perspective, I was in I was in reasonably good health. I I, I gained a little bit of weight. I think over the last year, like year that I had in the military probably because I was stressed about how things run. The other thing that was happening is we had a shortage of engineers in our trade. And so I was, in fact, I would say the last two years, I was getting deployed a lot more, like bounced around from ship to ship. And so it was like, hey, this ship's going out for this mission. You're going to go on this, come back. And then you get sent to another ship. You're going to go on this ship. You're going to go on this deployment here. And some of them are short deployments. Some of them are short missions and things. But um, I was I was averaging, if you count the times that I was also on watch in, in the 
on, on the base itself, I was, um, I think I was away 285 days out of my, in my last two years, wow. which is wow. normally the only, uh, the only put your, your maximum is like 180. And I was, okay. I was a hundred over that because of, um, the shortage that we had within the trade. And because I was really like, I was high performing in my trade. So that was kind of starting to take its toll, I think, also on our marriage. I mean, I have a wonderful wife, wonderful marriage. Uh, I'm really fortunate we're coming up on our, our 15th anniversary. But oh, yeah, the at that point, mm-hmm. well, thank you. Yeah. So, but at that point in time, I kind of, I, I sort of ironically joke that the military potentially breeds divorced alcoholics because of things like this, where, because the military really, in a sense, owns your time. So this, this always being gone was kind of taking its toll. My wife's from Australia. You know, and so here she is halfway around the world away from her family and the husband that she married is like gone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at sea very often, like at that time, like you're not, you don't necessarily have great cell towers out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Probably so, no. Um, and so like access to communication back to shore was somewhat limited and it would, it would, it would, it would depend on what we were doing in terms of mission and things like that. And how, how frequently we were allowed to communicate, how many minutes we get on the satellite phone and things like that. Um, and it wasn't really a great connection. And so. Um, it just, I think from that standpoint, from a relation standpoint, it was, it was, things were kind of getting unhealthy. Um, and the stress of like always being gone and always being on, um, I started to gain like a little bit of weight. It, it wasn't too serious compared to what happened to me post post military, but, uh, uh, I, I'd, um, I think I just, I'd kind of wanted to get, well, I just wanted to do something different. I was just so, I, I think at that point I was burnt out really, uh, from a mental and emotional standpoint. Yeah. That, that's hard with all of those different factors involved. Absolutely. Now you had mentioned, okay, so at what point, cause you, you, you know, ended up losing a hundred pounds at some point. So I had to gain us, that weight first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, uh, I guess the, the rest of the story and then the, the solution to that rest of the story where, where you kind of took your health back, so to speak. Yeah. So it was actually in, in the time that we spent traveling around the world, um, we ended up living down in South Africa for a period of time um because we met some south africans um living when we were living in mexico and we lived in poland and they came and saw us there and then we went down to south africa to participate in a in a uh, ngo or non-government organization not-for-profit organization um and it was working for this we were out working on a nature reserve and one night when i'd been walking back to the instructor's cabin um i got jumped and attacked by by four men and it was nearly beaten to death and so that was oh. now I, I say that lightly now it wasn't a very light experience this this set in motion no, no. series of uh experiences that that um and challenges that really uh shaped the next 10 years of my life so um going through a trauma like that i was not emotionally prepared for it whatsoever um and so my my response was I, I turned to food. It's not that I deliberately did this, but that was just sort of the emotional response. I turned, I, I became this binge eating food addict essentially. And uh, so I, I started to really struggle with my relationship with food. And after going through trauma and sort of the stress of all of that, the weight gain started happening really rapidly. And so over the course of about six months, my weight had ballooned up to about 330 pounds. And so it was, it was really this result of going through trauma that, that led me to that place and started now this journey that I have to go on. Um, well, how do I lose the weight? <laughs> you know, because uh, I'd never really struggled. Like I gained a little bit of weight. Uh, generally speaking, I was pretty athletic when I was in the Navy. But again, like I mentioned, I gained a little bit of weight kind of in the last last two years because I was I was working a lot. I was I was getting deployed a lot. This was a totally different story here. This was like massive weight gain, and now nobody was paying me to go to the gym either. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So that that kind of started this this journey back. Like, how do you find your way back from that? And uh, that, that was quite an emotional journey that I had to go on to get to to get to where I am today. Mm, okay. 
So it's you've got the stress of the Navy, and then you're turned to your your traveling mm-hmm. like, uh, endeavors, and then it was just, uh, and then with that traumatic experience, I'm so sorry that 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 happened. Yeah, um, well, and I would say, and I appreciate the sentiment, but I will say, looking back now, I am grateful for the experience that happened because of who it's led me to becoming. Mm, um, okay. And it, sound, it might sound like an in, like an interesting or th- thing to say, but um, that forced me to go through this journey of growth and development like never before. Um, and it was incredibly difficult, um, uh, you know, going through this, this emotional journey of like, who, who am I? Um, how do I find my way out of this? Because it, I, like I, I was a classic yo-yo dieter for the, then a number of years after that. So losing, gaining, losing, gaining, um, trying the things that used to work that, that didn't seem to quote unquote work. And the reality is I wasn't dealing with the real issue. Um, and that was like my relationship to myself and my body. And it was actually when I hired a coach about four years ago and he, he asked me this question. He said, if you make a list of all the things you love and value, how far down the list do I go before I see your name? Mm, interesting. And that was a really telling question. I actually said that question changed my life. And interestingly, you could say in one sense, the military um, maybe planted the seeds, military service before self. And so I didn't really know how to articulate what I was struggling with at the time, but I was really struggling with my relationship to myself and my body. And because I'd gained so much weight, I'd really, and then struggled to lose the weight. And there was this up and down battle. I'd really started to be, sort of become angry at my body um, as though it had somehow betrayed me, you know, um, and I didn't know how to find my way out of it. And it was, it was when this coach, he really shone this light on, this is a glaring problem staring back at you. You know, you have that you're, I had to learn what self-compassion was. And uh, that's not really something that's say, necessarily taught in the military. And, and look, there's a time and a place for how the military conditions people, very much so. Like when you go into hostile situations and combat zones and things like that, you know, this isn't nice people playing in the sandbox. Um, it's, it's, it's hostile. But um, so those seeds maybe that had been planted, what that meant was like, now here I was in this situation where I didn't, I didn't know what self-compassion was. I didn't know what self-love was. And especially being male and, and having been in the military and so on, like I had these, these ideas about it that I think were misguided at best. So here I'm now in my mid thirties trying to learn what is self-love? What is self-compassion? What does it have to do with me as a man? What does it have to do with me and weight loss? You know, and so it was this really, and truthfully, I'd say like, I'm actually an, an empath. I'm very empathic towards people. I actually have a, you know, a very like kind and gentle and caring heart. But a lot of that had been suppressed, especially after going through trauma. I'd, I'd basically fought to basically hide all of the emotions and things that I was going through because I also saw it as kind of a, a, a weakness to be feeling all of these huge emotions. So it was really um, quite this struggle that I went through to get to a place where I was healthy emotionally. Mm, okay. Now, were you, you mentioned, uh, a few years back, you had hired a coach. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, were you struggling with all of these different thoughts and feelings, emotions on yeah. your own? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Um, I At this time, I'd been in business for a couple of years with a guy when we were running a, a supplement store. Um, so that's one of the things that we that, that I went into. So, and, and maybe just to paint a bit of a picture for folks, after leaving the military, I spent about three years traveling around the world. Uh, and then I came back and then I, I, I got into the power line trade, so building, building poles and towers. So I found an apprenticeship job I, I was also looking at becoming a power engineer because that's more closely connected to what I was doing in the military. Um, but at that point, it was kind of difficult to find that. And when this opening came up to become a lineman, um, that's what I did. But then I also actually suffered an injury that meant I had to retire from the power line trade. And then I got into what we call the oil patch up here. And that is where we're working on places where they're drilling or fracking or things like that. And I was you know, hauling equipment and stuff. Um, but ultimately, I actually found myself um, becoming an entrepreneur and, and starting a business. And so I'd gone into business with this guy and we were running a nutrition and supplement store. And it kind of, 
it kind of worked well in a sense that I had access to every, basically every supplement on the planet. I had suppliers like sending me samples of things so I could try just any supplement I wanted. And I was trying to find the answers to my weight loss problems in supplements and nutrition science. And I'm, I'm pretty well educated with my, my science background, but none of those things were working, you know? And again, because I think it was a way to avoid dealing with the real issues that I needed to deal with. And that was like, again, I go back to my relationship with myself, my emotional health, my mental health. These were the things that were really significantly affecting me and, and, and my weight. And so, yeah, it was, so my former business partner was actually a natural bodybuilder. And so we tried that route, you know, the training and the macros and the meal planning and then all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and one part of my brain, maybe like the structure of it, but it was completely avoiding the real problem. And because of that, I kept, I kept sabotaging myself and I couldn't understand why I was doing that because logically these behaviors don't make sense. But, you know, I say, if we understand how the brain works, they actually do make sense, even though logically they don't, it seems illogical, um, to sabotage all of your weight loss efforts. But when you realize it's not connected to that part of your brain, it's actually connected to an emotional and more primal part of your brain. That's, it's actually about preserving the sense of identity you hold about yourself. Um, that behavior then starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I, I focus now when I work with people, we're kind of making a bit of a jump here, but this is why now I focus with people on what I call brain-driven weight loss. So we're looking at the different factors that affect our brain that, that are, or within our brain that affect our decision-making, our choices. So that can be our habits, our mindset, our psychology, our behaviors, our emotions, our sense of identity, the type of conditioning we've had. So all these factors come into play to influence the choices and behaviors that we make. And so when we start to understand, I like to say all behavior makes sense. And I don't mean that all behavior is good or helpful, but if we understand the brain and how it works, we can make, we can understand why that behavior is happening. And if we can understand why the behavior is happening, then we can see ourselves through the lens of compassion. And compassion is what allows us to, it allows us to see our struggles without necessarily judging ourselves and beating ourselves up, but to see them realistically for what they are. And so, like I'd mentioned earlier, I really struggled with be, be, becoming like this self-loathing individual, you know, and we could say that the military inadvertently, I say inadvertently, had really planted those seeds with the service before self mentality, where it was like, you're just a body that in the machine, basically, and you're not really an autonomous human being. And that's probably why I butted heads politically in terms of my military career, because I actually do have a pretty strong independent streak and I'm pretty quick thinking, and I like to make efficient processes and things. And, you know, the military was a bit stodgy in that sense, but I, I digress. Really, you know, to bring it back to what we're what I was touching on here, um, focusing on what drives these behaviors and starting to understand that means that we can look at them in the light and go, you're not doing this because you're a loser. You're not doing this because you're stupid. You're doing this because your brain is is driving you towards these behaviors. If we can understand that reason, we can look at how we shape your environment, how we shape your lifestyle to move you towards making better decisions. Mm. Okay. So now you mentioned with with the lifestyle. So you had to make certain adjustments to begin with before yeah. that weight loss came to fruition. Yeah. One, one of the things, you know, because it, when I, it's funny, when I would come off the ship, for example, after deployment, my wife would go, <coughs> excuse me, my wife would say like, I can't keep up with you because, you know, in the Navy, you've got cooks and they make food for you every day, like clockwork. And so my brain had actually, so again, we could say some seeds were maybe planted. My brain had been conditioned to, you know, at 7 a.m., I'm hungry. At 10 a.m., I have a snack. At noon, I eat, and so on. And, and when we feed ourselves on a schedule like that, the brain starts to anticipate that food is going to come at that certain time and then starts to cultivate a sense of hunger around it, even if there's not a physiological need for it. Yeah, and so we, we look at that, and maybe it's different if you're in the Army and deployed. Um, maybe, maybe it looks a little bit different. I'm not sure. Um, I can really only sort of speak from Navy experience, but um, that really, again, sets in motion this pattern of like, 
we don't need to eat six times a day to be healthy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a myth now of this quote unquote stoke the metabolic fire. You don't actually need that. And in fact, having, I'm not, I'm not necessarily for or against intermittent fasting. I think it can be a useful tool, um, but allowing ourselves breaks between the times that we eat, maybe four to six hours between, you know, that actually allows us our metabolism to become more efficient rather than trying to eat every two to three hours, which also I say as someone who struggled with, with weight loss, every time we open the door to eating, we open the door to overeating. Mm. And when you're someone like myself, like I say, I'm a recovered binge eating food addict, but those tendencies are still there in my brain. I could still, I could still fall back into that pattern because when you connect a powerful emotion to a behavior, that behavior gets wired very strongly into the brain. And so it's like, for me to maintain my weight loss, I actually kind of have to navigate food a little bit differently than the average person who's never struggled with this. Okay. So how, how do you navigate that? Um, I'm honest about the things that I, that I struggle with and the tendencies and urges that I have. I don't hide them in shame anymore. So I used to be very ashamed of my behavior because I felt helpless to change it. Um, if we think about, so, so for one, I started becoming a lot more open about communicating my emotions to my wife. Um, my wife used to joke and call me the tin man. Um, mm -hmm. You're like, I know there's emotions in there. I know there's feelings in there. You're just hiding them, <laughs> you know? And, and it's, it's like, that's actually a very fitting analogy. Like I lacked courage, lacked the courage to say like, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling and so on. Um, because like I actually, so I developed PTSD, ironically, not from the military, but from the experience that I went through after the military. Um, but I still had to deal with all the symptoms of PTSD as well. But so becoming uh, open about what I was feeling emotionally. And saying this is where I'm at, and then not not being ashamed of it. I think that was that's one of the things that was was really important. Also, then you think about, um, you know, if I was an alcoholic, I wouldn't live across from a liquor store, or I wouldn't keep a stocked liquor cabinet if I was an alcoholic. So, as a binge eating food addict, I had to look at okay, what are the foods that right now are are real trigger foods for me that I can't seem to emotionally regulate my consumption, and for a period of time, not bring those foods into the house. Why? Okay. Because I call it don't run on a sprained ankle. There was like an injury there connected to the food in a sense. And I wasn't able, I didn't have the capacity at that time to emotionally regulate my consumption of those things. And so it was easier not to bring it into the house. So it, it's like, if you have a thing for peanut M&Ms and, and you go to Costco and you buy like a, you know, eight pound bag or, you know, they sell these giant bags at Costco mm -hmm. and you dump them into a giant bowl on the counter that you walk past 20 times a day. Well, 20 times a day, your hand's going to go into that bowl and eat them just because they're there. And every time you eat them, it's going to feel really good. And your brain's going to go, I want more of that. And so it's like the people that appear to have the best willpower are the ones that don't test it. Like, because if you could, if you test a hundred times a day, 99 times you say no, that one time you say yes, you're going to say I have no willpower. When the truth is, no, you just exhausted it. You tested it way too many times in a day. So shaping our environment is also a part of helping us to like recognizing again, how our brain works. We see something, we want it. If we don't see it, it doesn't come to mind as often. And then like, I have a, a kind of a, let's say a tool called fast. It's part of, I have an ebook called crush your cravings. And it's, it's about how we can navigate cravings. Cause as a binge eating food addict or former, like these cravings and urges still appear in my brain, but I don't necessarily have to answer the call. There's other ways that I can, I can sort of meet what it is my brain is looking for. And so, um, we have to be willing to, and I had to become willing to experience some discomfort and not treat it like it was an emergency. So even thinking about the language that I use, instead of saying I'm starving, cause I think that's, that's like the, it's the most disingenuous phrase we could use, but we use it so commonly. I'm starving. No, you're not. Starvation is like you haven't had food for days and your body's going into an emergency mode to keep you alive. That doesn't happen if you haven't eaten for three hours. <laughs> like if that, if that was the case, human beings wouldn't be alive. 
but it's so we don't even think about it. It's so common that we use language like that. So thinking about the language that I use, because if you say something, I'm starving, your brain says, this is an emergency. It doesn't matter what I eat right now. I have to take care of this emergency. And so starting to become comfortable with uncomfortable emotions and feelings, because sometimes even that, that sense that we feel inside of us is not necessarily hunger. It's something uncomfortable internally, probably connected to an emotion. And food is the easiest way to erase that emotion. <laughs> it's like the cheapest, most readily available emotional anesthetic, if I could put it that way. Okay. So there's all these different factors that you think about, or I, I had to start thinking about in terms of how do I make my life easier? And uh, so I had to go to my wife and say, look, like craft peanut butter was one. It was, you know, that green lid on the big peanut butter jar. It's basically like peanut butter icing. And, and for a period of time, I just had to ask her, like, don't bring that stuff into the house because I really have a hard time regulating my consumption of it. And it, it's, you know, and I look back and, and, you know, at that time, even I felt a little bit of shame telling her that, but the reality is that was a trigger food for me. It was something I wanted to mass consume. Uh, and I really, you know, in the moment, like no, no, no binge eating food addict, like really enjoys that behavior, <laughs> you know, but that behavior solves a problem. There's a reason that behavior pattern exists. Mm -hmm. And when we understand that again, we can, we can look at that through the lens of compassion instead of the lens of judgment. And, sure. you know, so Okay. I don't know if that really answered your question, but yeah. <laughs> it did. So how was, talk about that relationship transformation, because you mentioned that's yeah. kind of a big part of it. And after you left the military and with all of your other endeavors, how was that, that communication, that relationship with your wife, with yourself, how has that uh, changed over the years? It's gotten a lot better. Um, there's, there is this period of time where like, in one sense, I guess my wife had gotten used to me not being there very often or showing up more like a guest than a, than a husband, <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in a sense. And so we, we really had to work on coexisting and being okay with the fact that as we relearn to coexist, because I'm now here like every day, <laughs> instead of being gone for a couple of months and coming back, sure. you know, like she fell into routines and patterns without me a part of her life because I was gone. She just got used to being independent and taking care of herself. And so we had to kind of be okay with the fact that we're going to butt heads and fight over some things and, and just run into some, some conflict. It didn't mean that like there was something wrong with our marriage. It meant that we were two human beings learning to kind of coexist again in a pattern that we hadn't had before. So it's natural that we were going to, you know, butt heads. So um, I think like communication solves a lot of problems and, you know, yeah, we went, <laughs> my, my journey is maybe a little more colorful than most because as I leave the military, we travel the world and go on this globetrotting adventure, which is kind of exciting. Then I go through this life altering trauma and then we come back and, and now I'm like this sort of suffering from PTSD and emotionally scarred. And, and, uh, and so it's like, this isn't exactly what my wife signed up for when, when we got married. Um, but I tell you what, I've got to keep her. Um, she is, a, she's an amazing, uh, amazing woman. And so, it, but there's a lot of give and take. So she, you know, she had to be willing to, like, there's a tendency to want to fix the, the behavior flaws that we see in our partners, um, because I think it'll just make my life better if I can just get him or her to stop doing this and sort of letting go of that idea. Like we're not, I'm not in this relationship to fix her. <laughs> She's not in this relationship to fix me. Um, sure. but we're learning how to coexist, learning how to express our needs, learning how to compromise, learning how to cooperate. And so I think even just being open to that process, and being okay with the fact that we were going to, you know, like I said, we're going to butt heads, we're going to have some conflict. It didn't mean something was wrong. It didn't mean that our relationship wasn't working. It meant they were just two human beings. So coming to that place of acceptance, I think was really important. And then being willing to communicate openly about exactly where we were at, what our needs are and how we'd like them met. Um, and, and just being committed to we're in this together. Like one way or another, we're in this together. We're going to figure it out. Okay. Now in terms of commitment, 
what about the commitment to yourself? And you had, uh, you know, really re refocused your 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 thoughts on that in terms of your own of prioritizing your own your own self, your own health. Yeah, and that was a difficult one um, because I was so used to. I, I would say, like, I was a proverbial set myself on fire to keep other people warm. Um, in other words, I would, and so in one sense, the military again was a really great fit because I was a hard worker. I was very dedicated. I was very diligent. I was very conscientious. And I would just give and give and give and give of myself without really expecting anything in return. And it was, it's connected to this sense of this identity that I held about myself that, you know, actually I really wasn't worthy of love and care and compassion and these sorts of things. And it's, it's sounds very interesting looking back saying that because back then I had no idea this is what was really driving me to do what I did. It just, it was just my pattern. It was just what I was used to doing. That's how I behaved. That's how I saw the world and so on. And so I really, I could say I'm able to say this kind of in hindsight with the experience and education that I have now with my background in psychology and looking at these things, like it all makes sense now, but back then I didn't really understand it. And so I, I wanted to put that out there because some, you might hear me talking about these things and it might not exactly connect or resonate with your like, but, but it might, it might sort of plant this seed or this, this thought that you start sort of turning over in your head as you kind of start reflecting and becoming more self-aware. And so, uh, for me, again, one of the things that I had to do was start, like, it's like, how do you learn self-care? How do you learn self-love? How do you become okay with self-love when it doesn't really fit into, like, didn't really fit into my idea of what being masculine and male was and so on. And so I say, really, I started with something very simple and that was brushing my teeth. So brushing my teeth is an act of self-care. It's, it's saying I'm worth investing because in I want my teeth to be good. And then, you know, maybe I have put a water bottle beside my bed so that every night or every morning when I wake up, I drink some water. So I hydrate because you wake up slightly dehydrated in the morning, another act of self-care. And then maybe I'd go in, uh, and what I would do is I'd start to stack these little behaviors up and I would see them for what they are. They're an act of self-care. And every time you repeat an act like that, it reinforces this idea that I'm worthy of care. I'm worthy of self-love. Self-love isn't eating a pizza and watching Netflix. <laughs> that's, that's not self-love. Self-love is like investing and in nurturing your growth and development. Mm, good point. So I love that. Now, in terms of those um, tran either transitioning currently or thinking about it or have recently left the military, what are some things to keep in mind in terms of wellness that they can maintain maintain that sense of self that, mm. and, and priority and, and care that they need? I'd say it's probably gonna be a little bit of a bumpy road and just gonna be okay with that for starters. Um, because I, I think sometimes when we get set up to go through this transition, there's definitely some excitement because, okay, something new and exciting and different is coming after years of sort of the same thing. Now I'm ready to move into something different. So our brain gets really excited about that. And it's almost like starting a new relationship. You know, you're really excited about the world's your oyster. Like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be so amazing. I'm, I'm free from all of these things that I didn't like about that. Because I think everybody who's, who's had spent some time in the military can find things about it they didn't like. And because it can be kind of restrictive and controlling, it's kind of part of being in the military. And so there is this sense of excitement going into it. I think having in mind when you go to go through this process is it's, it's not all going to be smooth. And when something doesn't go according to plan, the way that you've mapped out in your head as you're thinking about this, it's okay. It doesn't actually mean that something's wrong. This is just, this is life. And so I think like when I work with people, for example, in weight loss, one of the things I need to do is help them to shape their expectations because it's unmet expectations that very often lead us to becoming frustrated and discouraged and questioning ourselves and going to make the right choice and so on. So if we, yes, it is exciting and, and enjoy that excitement. That's really great. It's, it's awesome to think about new possibilities, but also have in mind that, Hey, if this gets a little bit bumpy, if this doesn't go according to plan. That's okay. 
Um, and in fact, that's an opportunity to kind of learn and grow and develop. And so I think that's a really good place to start when you're, when you're going through that with that expectation in mind, I mean, you're less likely to sort of become discouraged and frustrated when things don't go the way you want it to. Mm, okay. So kind of giving, being a little lenient with yourself. Yeah. And then, and then what I would say is, um, you know, establish a couple of anchor habits. So our, our brain, one part of our brain is like this habit forming computer. It's really neat. The more times you repeat the behavior, the easier it is for your brain to do it automatically. Now that's a double-edged sword, right? The more times you repeat an unhealthy behavior, the easier it is to make that an automatic behavior. But we can work with our brain the way that our brain works. And so I gave the example of like, say, brushing my teeth. And so most people probably brush their teeth without thinking about it, which is fantastic. You can now stack another thing on it, like drink some water the first thing in the morning, you know, hydrate first thing in the morning and so on. I, I often talk with my clients about setting what I call CMGs or can't miss goals. The idea behind this is simple. <clears throat> you want to pick a goal that's so easy that you really can't miss even on your worst day. Because if we want to form a habit, what really dictates the success of that is the repeatability of the behavior. So if you were to say, okay, I'm going to work out five days a week for, for an hour, but you really haven't been doing that for the last 10 years, the likelihood of success is really low because it's quite a dramatic shift in behavior. But if you were to say every day, I'm going to go for a walk for five minutes. And if I want to go for longer, I will. If I don't, I won't. That behavior is so simple. You really can't miss it. And what you're doing is you're patterning a behavior of deliberate activity every day. And so we often get hung up on the size of the behavior when in fact, I would argue that the repeatability of the behavior is more important, if that makes sense. So behavior that we can repeat is one that we can build and expand and grow and nurture versus one that we sporadically do. Okay. So basically be building those good habits, even mm. perhaps even while you're still in the military, much less Absolutely. You know, transitioning out. Yeah. It's, I mean, habits have become, well, James Clear with Atomic Habits, his book, like he really shot them to the, to the stratosphere in terms of popularity, in terms of growth and hacking and development and that kind of thing. Um, and there was an author before him called Charles Duhigg that wrote a book about the power of habits. Um, but aside from like a trend, it's like actually just recognizing our brain and how it works and working with our brain. And so, for example, I have a program called Lifestyle 180 and, and it's a 180 day program, but it's also like a new direction in life. And what we do in that program is we reverse engineer somebody's healthy lifestyle. So we could say we know what the fundamental principles of a healthy lifestyle are. It's going to involve, you know, regular activity, stress management, quality sleep, hydration and good nutrition, you know, give or take. Those are the elements that probably make up a healthy lifestyle. But how do we shape those elements to suit the individual? And so we start with one principle and we say, I want you to try and employ this principle in your life. And in, in trying to do that, I want you to figure out how this works for you, when it doesn't and why it does or why it doesn't. So we can adjust this practice to suit you. And once that one's established, we're going to put the next one in place and the next one and the next one. So there's this cumulative effect because most people, I think the way that we still approach trying to create changes, let's look at it, so sort of the, the idea of a diet. I'm going to impose a whole bunch of rules starting today that I have to follow. And that only lasts at most for three months, but most people doesn't even last for four weeks because that's too much change for our brain to handle all at once. And our brain will, will drive us to self-sabotage and return to the familiar behavior patterns that don't require as much conscious thought because change requires conscious thought and, and our prefrontal cortex, that part of the front part of our brain, that, that part of our brain is really precious real estate, the conscious thought. So our brain, whatever it can automate, it will. And whatever behaviors are hardwired into there, um, those are the ones that most easily we fall back into whenever we're stressed, tired, exhausted, worn out, that kind of thing. And so knowing that that's the, the sort of the tendency of our brain, again, it goes back to working with our brain the way that our brain actually works. 
versus trying to force all of this change. So even even going through any kind of transition, really understand that um, something that's kind of like a really sudden transition in a sense, a really dramatic transition is, is possibly going to push you back into old, unhelpful, unhealthy behavior patterns in terms of, you know, eating and activity and so on. I share that because I, I would, I would hope people wouldn't become discouraged when this happens if they understand why it's happening. And it just means that our brain doesn't handle a lot of change all at once very well. And so we can, sometimes we kind of have to chip away at things. And that's why I say that, you know, go back to the transition is probably gonna be a little bit bumpier than we, than we expect when we're first imagining it in our head. Mm, okay. So maybe if it doesn't happen the way you expect, maybe that means, you know, take a step back or mm-hmm. just kind of adjust your habits uh, as needed to, to really yeah. get back on track. Well, because I think we've, we've kind of our expectations have been shaped by the instant gratification culture as well. Yeah. And, and that factors into it. So we're used to, uh, like I said, there's no Amazon Prime for, for behavior change. Or there's no Amazon Prime for, for lifestyle transformation. Like it just does take time. It takes time to move into a new pattern, a new routine, create new behaviors and so on. And so if we, if we think about just building it brick by brick or step by step, rather than trying to do 20 things all at once, um, you're much more likely to be successful. Okay. Fantastic. Wow. That's really a lot to think about, um, regardless of what uh, stage of transition or, or uh, people are in. And now these things, these habits not, are not just food related. They're right. Or, you can use them in your relationships or in other Absolutely. aspects of wellness. Very much so. So I, like I've got a young son, he's, he's nine months old. And um, so one of the things, so I have a little habit tracker called loop. And so I put these behaviors in, in, in loop and I have probably about 20 things over the course of the day that I tick off now. Now saying that I'm not, I'm telling you, don't start with 20. I started with one. And then just once that's established, I, you know, add another one in. And it's just a way to sort of consciously acknowledge I did or didn't do this today. And one of the things is have 30 minutes of playtime with my son every day, because if I don't do that, I run, I'm an entrepreneur. I run a business. It's very easy to get caught up in running a business. Mm-hmm. And especially an online business where you kind of have 24-7 access to potential customers and so on, as well as like serving my existing clients. And so it's it's remembering that I need to have that time every day with him because he's growing, developing, and changing very quickly. And I only get I only get this stage of life with him once, you know. So making it a conscious and deliberate part of every day of my life that I spend time with him. And really the same goes for my wife, you know, have 30 minutes of quality time with her where we're not just mommy and daddy, but we're husband and wife again Sure. and making that a part of it because we look at health and and I mean, yes, I'm a nutritionist in a sense, but I often joke that nutrition is the cover story. Health is bigger than that. It's not just the food that you eat. It's not just exercise. It's, you know, relational health. It's social health. It's emotional health. It's environmental health. There's so many other aspects of it that we, that we often forget about. And so you're, you're absolutely right. Even in terms of self-development, maybe you want to develop a skill. It's like, cool, you can, you can habitify that as well. If I could use, if I could make a word up, <laughs> you know, really, again, you set a, a CMG or a can't miss goal. You set a really small practice that you can do every single day and really pattern that behavior. Um, and that's how you build into uh, a healthy lifestyle. Fantastic. Well, Jonathan, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, well, you can go to my website, freedomnutritioncoach.com. Um, and that's really where I talk about the different programs that I do. Um, I also run a podcast called Between the Before and After. Um, originally, it was called Wellness Unplugged. So the first two seasons are under the banner of Wellness Unplugged. And then we've transitioned into Between the Before and After. And really what this is about is about telling people stories of transformation and overcoming significant obstacles in their life. Because I think social media shows us the before and after picture. And we look at that and think, well, I, I want that too. But but we don't often explore the story underneath the transformation. And so that's why I started the podcast Between the Before and After. So 
Um, and of course, you can find me um, on on LinkedIn, on Facebook. If you look up Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you'll you'll find me there as well. Fantastic. Well, we'll include all of those in the show notes. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure having you on Military Transition Wellness. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate your service in the Navy, as well as your the story of your transformation afterwards. So thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.